Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad to be joined by Dr. Peter Kapsner as we are in our Sunburnt series, and virtually anything can happen in the Sunburnt series, and we're kind of wrapping up summer, so we are very excited to be uh, being joined today by Dr. David Clark, uh, who is a longtime friend and professor of Peter's, so this is going to be for a fascinating hour. We've got a topic today that we're going to chew on that is going to... Uh, really create some some uh, some great conversation. We're going to talk today about the relationship between faith in Jesus and faith in our ideas about Jesus. And because I've got two uh, intellectuals in the studio, I'm going to let them do about 99% of the talking. So, uh, Peter, uh, you've known David forever, so maybe you could give him a better introduction than I could. Yeah, well, as soon as we find those intellectuals in studio, David, we'll, we'll, let, we'll, we'll let him know. But I, yeah, David, I, I know we, I've introduced you before in, in this way, but um, you came into my life when I had taken about nine months off of seminary. wasn't entirely sure if this is the direction I wanted to go, and especially because I wasn't even sure about all these ideas and all of what was happening and came back, and the first class I had uh, was with you. Uh, it was Christian Social Ethics, which I now actually teach, <laughs> having stepped into your shoes in that. But, but the way you talked about life in the kingdom that could also intersect with our everyday life was just fascinating to me. And so we became friends, and you've been a mentor of mine over this time as you've been the dean of Bethel Seminary down the road from where we are right now. A lot of other positions you've held. I know you're very active in churches as well. And maybe the most important thing I learned recently was that your wife, Sandy, is the very embodiment of heavenly <laughs> hospitality. After all these years, I finally got the invite to dinner, and oh, wow, could she put on a spread between the blueberry pie and the mushroom crostini and the and the taco bar. It was quite the place. Yeah. She definitely has the gift of hospitality, and uh, I get 0% uh, credit for that, but uh, she <laughs> did have a wonderful dinner, and it was wonderful to have you and some other friends along. Uh, for some good Christian hospitality, that's for sure. We did. We had, yeah. and, and one of the things that we've um, that I talk about in class, David, uh, with students is you just ask the question, do you, do you find yourself more in relationship with ideas about Jesus or more in relationship with Jesus? And just even saying that distinction, I think, can kind of open up a whole can of stuff. It certainly can. And uh, I guess I my own personal journey on this is that I was a very uh, sort of heady kind of person. I remember as a 17-year-old uh, rebelling, my teenage rebellion against my father, who was a, a, a missionary and a pastor and a theologian. And my rebellion was not that I wanted to go out and do horrible things, but I just I, I didn't agree with everything that he thought theologically. Uh, and I remember debating end times theology with him, you know, and my mother was praying in the corner, hoping that I wasn't losing my faith. Uh, and so for me, this, you know, coming of age was really all about engaging of ideas. And of course, you know, as a professor of theology, and uh, you teach theology as well, Peter, 
these are these are important things, and we tend to think ideas are super super important. But when it gets right down to it, they're important, but not the most important. They're important, but not the penultimate, or not the ultimate. They're sort of penultimate. Uh, and one has to come to that realization in life that that it's almost like. Uh, you know, a Christian, it's like being addicted to, to sugar or something. You can get so addicted to the ideas uh, that you forget that the reality the ideas point to is the really the important thing. And that that is something that one has to come to a realization. Now, other people have uh, other gifts, right? And uh, I was with a guy this morning, good friend of mine, who's his, his, his gift is service. And he doesn't think too deeply about faith. He just believes, and then he goes out and loves people and serves people. And I, I sometimes wish I were more like that. Um, but for people like me and others who can get attracted to the ideas, it's almost like an addiction to the idea. It's like being on a sugar high to have a bright, bright new, brilliant new biblical insight. And that can distract us from the real thing, which is loving Christ and loving our neighbor. Mm. Dr. David Clark is our special guest in our Sunburnt series. And David, you had mentioned something earlier in the week, and you said, if our faith is just ideas, well, they can be demolished by further ideas. Right. And uh, we are not trusting in the ideas, but if we delve into that intellectual realm alone and then... For instance, young people go off to a university where maybe there are folks who think see the world differently, and uh, contrary ideas are introduced, and critical ideas are introduced. And um, if if I don't have a relationship, in addition to the ideas about the relationship, the ideal is uh, the ideas can can become fragile. And uh, at the same time, I do think that Christian truth is very strong, and uh, it has to be viewed through the right frame, of course. But how many times do we see young people uh, who are really excited about the thoughts, the ideas, and uh, they see their faith crumble before them because uh, there isn't this reality of an engagement with Christ lying sort of behind the ideas, as it were. Uh, So that's a danger. And, uh, you know, we want to properly balance uh, the two things together. So I know that um, we certainly take a lot of questions from listeners on Faith Radio. I know in my classroom as well that are the kind of questions of, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about, and very understandable questions. People have a lot of questions uh, like, well, how can this be true or how can this be true? Or, what do you think about this? And and I think those are really important. They're all really important questions. I think they all, I, I remember searching libraries high and low trying to answer the question, well, isn't God just some wish that we make up in our mind because we're living in otherwise meaningless cosmic existence of, you know, dust to worms kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we're just making them up to feel better about ourselves. And I searched libraries high and low. And, and at the end of the day, David, I couldn't prove through ideas that that maybe wasn't true. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, I have to start the starting point of this whole faith is that I have to put my faith in a person, that be in Jesus, however I understand him currently, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And uh, and then um, my anxiety about all these things are, are is sort of set aside. And from there, I can start engaging in the ideas and say, all right, what is the most reliable way in which to understand this Jesus that I have put my faith in? I think the disciples had to do that kind of work. I, they put their faith in Jesus first, and then he was often terribly confusing to him, to, to all of them, as he began to give them the ideas of the kingdom. But but they were serving Jesus first, and they had their ideas reframed oftentimes as a result. Yeah, I, I 
Yeah, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it understand, <clears throat> understanding the ideas about Jesus, or is it having a an intimate relationship with Christ? Which comes first? And you know, there's a there's there's debate historically, and you'll find theologians kind of on both sides of that. To, to me, it's kind of a both and, and it's a it's a a back and forth. Um, I, I think the, the a great way to think analogically about this is to imagine a relationship between uh, a man and a woman who are falling in love. And, uh, you know, you're you're attracted to a woman. So you've mentioned my wife, Sandy, who has this amazing gift of hospitality. Uh, and wow, I was attracted to her in stunning ways that I couldn't understand. <laughs> she right? must have served blueberry pie well, really yeah. early in this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. I learned about her culinary skills later. It was her person, <laughs> you know, the, the hospitality of personality. But um, you are attracted to that, but then you begin to understand it more. But then as you understand, you're also attracted more, and then you understand it more, and you get this kind of back and forth going. It's not an absolute sort of commitment to Christ before any knowledge, nor is it a 100 percent, you know, certain one plus one makes two kind of knowledge, and then you commit. I imagine a relationship with Christ being more like developing a friendship or developing a love relationship with a future spouse, and it has to have that either or, that both and, that back and forth character to it. Uh, if you go too far in the direction of saying, you know, you have a commitment to Christ and then it suddenly all makes sense, the, the risk in that is, that, well, you could make a commitment to the Buddha and then afterwards it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to have wisdom in who we commit to. And yet at the same time, without making a commitment, you're not going to have full understanding either. And so, again, I say it's this back and forth where you add a little to this and then you add a little on that side and then you grow a little on this side and then you come back and... This develops a little further. It's very organic in that way. Mm. When we talk about faith in the person of Jesus, that's 100% easy for me to grasp. Uh, But then when we start to talk about ideas about Jesus, I think whenever you have a conversation with anybody, they say, well, you've got your ideas about God. And they almost feel like they can write you off because you're the crazy person. Hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> all ideas are crazy from certain points of view. That's true, David. <laughs> so uh, there is no such thing as an idea that is, you know, perfectly reasonable from, uh, you know, from every single perspective in the world. Right. Um, from the perspective of a a young person who's been hurt in love, you know, um, the idea of having a lifelong relationship with a spouse doesn't make any sense. So my mom and dad are in their 90s and... Uh, in the next week or so, they're going to celebrate their 74th anniversary, wow. uh, which is a little mind-boggling to me, actually. Um, Dad will be 99 later this month, and, and Mom is 98. So to a person who's been hurt in love, the notion of being committed to one person for 74 years, that's just crazy talk. Hmm. <laughs> isn't it it is indeed <laughs> so so i think you got to recognize that uh when we say for instance uh, jesus rose from the dead well for, there are a lot of points of view from which that really is crazy talk in fact honestly i wake up in the morning sometimes and i think to myself okay i've given my life to this teaching this idea that 
the person we serve rose from the dead. He was dead. He was in a grave for, you know, 72 hours and now has come back to life. Like, we know that doesn't happen. How could that be? And I have to go back, you know, to 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 the evidence and just kind of refresh myself and get myself reoriented. Like, yeah, Jesus really did rise from the dead, and that has to orient the rest of my thinking, as opposed to my ordinary everyday experience, where I've watched the news, uh, you know, uh, on the on t- TV in the evening, and I've never seen a report that guess what somebody <laughs> rose from the dead today. It's never been reported in my lifetime. So. Uh, we have to balance these things. We have to get some evidence. We don't want to make a commitment to a charlatan. That's the key point. Mm. We don't want to commit ourselves to a Bernie Madoff who's going to steal mm-hmm. all the you know $157 that I've saved up for retirement. Um, I want to make a commitment in faith, but I want to be wise to do it to a person who is worthy of that commitment. And mm. That's why I've got to balance the ideas about Jesus with the trust in Jesus. I can't just do one or the other. Hmm. You know, Peter, David's not playing fair. He's I mean, not. <laughs> we, we don't have this illustration about our parents celebrating our 76th <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> you pull that out and we're done. Yeah, we're yeah. done. We're, neither one of us has a full deck compared to that. Like, no, no, not that, at all. Yeah. yeah. So let's take a break. We'll be right back with our Sunburnt series. Dr. Peter Kafter and I are so glad to have Dr. David Clark. And we're talking about um, ideas about Jesus and it's uh, if you have a question or a comment, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Again, the relationship between faith in Jesus and faith in our ideas about Jesus is our topic. Be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. It is our Sunburnt series. Uh, Peter and I are um, so glad to have Dr. David Clark in studio with us. We're talking today about faith in Jesus and faith in our ideas about Jesus, which is an interesting topic. It might take us the whole hour to get our arms wrapped around it, which is fine, because we have David for the whole hour. And uh, Peter, let's talk about, with David, the the word believe. As we're talking about ideas, I can't think of a more important word than the word believe. Yeah, and David was talking a little bit during the break just about that this word believe kind of has this um, built-in back and forth between our trust in Jesus and understanding and and ideas about Jesus. Yeah, well, you go to the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts, and the jailer says, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Paul classically says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And we in English... Look at that word believe, and it can sound an awful lot like believing an idea is true. Uh, And when we think about believing something, we typically think of it as kind of a little brother to knowledge. You know, knowledge is, I'm pretty confident that this is true, but if I believe it, it's like, well, I think it's true, but I'm not really all that sure. 
and so um, somebody might say, is it supposed to rain tomorrow? I believe it is. And what I mean by that is kind of I think so, but I'm not sure. So we have this idea of believing, which is has to do with ideas that we hold, but we hold these ideas somewhat tentatively and we don't really have very good evidence for it and we're kind of, you know, not sure. A lot of Christians at that point say, well, this is where faith comes in because faith is what makes you really confident, mm-hmm. you know. But I think there's a better way to think about this because uh, actually the Bible has sort of a distinction. In the English, we we could describe it as Believing that something is true and believing in. I say to you, Peter, I believe in you. You know, you were a, a, a young student in my course. This was 112 years back or so. <laughs> and, um, you know, you were wet behind the ears back then, right? But but I saw potential and I really believed in you. And what I meant by that, what I, what I would mean by a phrase like that is I, I have confidence in you. Mm. You know, I, I, I trust that something good, good is going to happen in your life. I, I think that you really are going to blossom, that believing in you or trusting in you. If I had a financial advisor who was going to take, you know, $50,000 of my hard-earned money and invest it for me, I would have to trust in that. I'd have to believe in him. I'd I'd have to have a certain level of confidence that this person is going to do the right thing by me. And that's really what faith is all about. It's this concept of personally trusting in someone and having full confidence in their person. And that that kind of faith we call believing in. Um, believing that is more about thinking that an idea is true. And um, thinking that an idea is true and trusting in the person are linked But the real core of it is the trusting in side. Hmm. James tells us that the devils believe that, believe that God exists, and yet they tremble. That means they don't really have a relationship with God, even though in their heads they know there is a God who judges all things, but they don't have a trust relationship with God. And consequently, though they have the right theology, they, they tremble. They know they're on the wrong side of that. This distinction between trusting in Christ, which we use the word believe to do to describe that, and holding certain ideas about Christ as true, we also use the word believe for that, you know, is is ambiguous and not clearly distinct in our minds. And that's why we can often fall into having a faith that's all about ideas and not about the person. Really, again, though, as we said before, it's kind of a both end. And I think a, a relationship between a husband and a wife uh, that is long and deep and faithful and intimate, uh, that is really a model because, first of all, there's this love relationship between the two. And yet at the same time, if I was a psychologist or a therapist, I would be able to describe that relationship with certain key ideas that would help me transfer it to somebody else. And so ideas and love fit together in that important way. Hmm. David, uh, in all your time teaching in, in seminaries and places and the work that you've done and, and the books that you've written in, in that, um, you're obviously familiar with ways in which people get introduced to the Christian faith. We call it evangelism, whatever we call it. 
Um, I think we we do spend a lot of time telling them the story that's true mm-hmm. about that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And, and there's almost this invitation to believe the story is true so something will happen in your life. But do you find that maybe alongside of that, that we could do a more robust job of helping people learn what it means to walk the lifelong journey of belief day mm-hmm. in and day out, what mm-hmm. it means to keep putting your trust in? Mm-hmm. How do you keep growing in confidence? Because in the example you're using with your wife or in a relationship, over time, you keep growing in the confidence and the trust. It's not just, I believe that story is true, therefore I got saved. There's something else that's happening there. There is something else happening. And I think that, that the marriage analogy is a perfect one. Now, some people push back, hey, I'm not married, I don't get it. Okay, but if it's not a marriage analogy, how about a friendship analogy? But let's just stick with marriage as a picture of this. When you get married to a person, you stand before a pastor and say, I, David, take you, Santa, to be my lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward. I give a marriage vow. And what I'm doing there is promising to be loyal to the other person. And the other person has to be worthy of my loyalty. That's where my brain kicks in because I, you know, I don't marry just because this woman is beautiful, but because I have uh, assessed that her character is one of gold and worthy to be you know, that I can commit. And then I also commit myself to be the kind of person who is worthy to be uh, trusted. So it is both a trust in the other and a commitment to be trustworthy. And Christ, of course, is trustworthy. Um, And I need to be convinced of that intellectually. But once I'm convinced of that intellectually, the next step is for me to say, I do to Christ, even as Christ says, I do to me. And the Bible uses that analogy. Uh, We are the bride of Christ. And in the Old Testament, when people are faithless and unfaithful to God, they go a-whoring after other gods. Now, that's a very vivid image, Mm -hmm. but it's basically using the image of prostitution for a picture of unfaithfulness to God. So all of those ideas fit together and help us understand that ideas are important, but the core of it is trust in the other person and being trustworthy as the other person is trusting in you. Well, and that phrase, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, that, that is sort of this verbal expression of the trust that we're invited into day in and day out. And, and right. I think, again, people, they spend so much time thinking, how do I get positioned to make sure that I go to heaven when I die? And I understand the impulse behind that, but, but to grow in this kind of confidence where there's a steadiness about you and, mm-hmm. and, uh, I know my shepherd's voice and I know he has me in my, in his hand. And there, there is this trust and confidence that grows daily in our lives that I think really can bring a, a much different kind of faith journey to the table. Absolutely. And I would say that in using this analogy, uh, salvation is more akin to the word marriage. It is not akin to the word wedding. Hmm. A wedding is a one-time event. It happens. It's over. A marriage can last for 74 years. And our relationship with Christ is more akin to that. Now, imagine a groom who says, I do, I take you as my lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward. And then the next day says, good, I got that base covered and ignores the relationship with the woman. It's like, wait a second, man, you missed the point. (laughs) The point is to have an ongoing, growing, deepening, sometimes difficult perhaps, but a committed relationship of what the Bible would call covenant love with this person. Hmm. That's the analogy. Yeah, it's so rich. It's so intimate just to hear that, David. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. David Clark is our guest, and we are continuing uh, our Sunburnt series where a little bit of anything and everything, and today is a, a fascinating topic on 
the ideas um, about faith, our, our faith in Jesus and our faith in our ideas about Jesus. Even spitting that out is hard. We'll take a <laughs> short break and be right back. Welcome to the Sunburnt Series. Peter Kafter and I are um, so glad to have Dr. David Clark as our guest. And we're talking about the relationship between faith in Jesus and faith in our ideas about Jesus. It's not a simple topic, but David is handling it beautifully and Peter as well. Um, so how do we discern right ideas from wrong ones about Jesus? Well, that's a can of worms, isn't it? Uh, uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. I, and honestly, uh, this has kind of been a, at the core of my teaching career um, because, honestly, I struggled with doubt as a high school boy and an undergraduate uh, in college. So this goes back to the previous millennium, actually. So, you know, it's in back into the 1900s here. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I remember wondering about my faith. Could I really trust in this? Uh, and um, I was in a sophomore class, and we had a professor come to talk about God, and he was an expert in Thomas Aquinas, who was a Catholic, great Catholic thinker, very, very influential thinker. And he said that, um, you know, we can't absolutely prove that God exists. And I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, <laughs> wait a second, what now? I, I thought we could prove this. Um, and it's it's sort of rattling my cage here that we couldn't prove this. But he said, you can't. Uh, it's not quite the same as, as one plus one makes two, which you can sort of, you know, logically prove. Or a husband is a married man. That's by definitionally true. It's 100% certain. But the existence of God is not 100% certain. I was really rattled by that. And then mm. several years later, I was in uh, a, a PhD course um, on the problem of evil. Now, that's an exciting course. Rosa, you would enjoy, you know, <laughs> taking a whole semester talking about suffering and evil. And actually, uh, I, I ended up teaching courses on that because uh, it's such an important question, right? But how could there be a God if there's so much suffering in the world? Because after all, God loves us. And so he wouldn't want us to suffer, surely. And God is almighty, so he should be able to snap his fingers and get rid of all suffering. Well, if he wants to, if he should want to get rid of evil and he should be able to get rid of evil, but he hasn't gotten rid of evil, that means that God doesn't exist. Okay. I was now really thrown for a loop. You just uh, threw me for a loop with that one, David. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to deal with this on another occasion, Peter, and uh, I'll, we'll, we can have a counseling session after, after class that. here. But uh, no, in all seriousness, that was a point in my own life where I thought, Okay, I'm not sure what this is all about. I remember coming home from that class, and my dearly beloved wife looked looked at me, and uh, and I was uh, starting to feel shaky about my faith. It raises the whole question of how we can have confidence in the truth of the mm. Christian faith, and really, that's been an, a sort of an abiding issue for me, uh, growing out of those spiritual experiences of challenge, uh, you know, from my young adulthood. And I, I would start by saying that there isn't uh, going to be an answer that is on the on a level of mathematical certainty. 
and that the kinds of things that we're talking about are matters of probability, and it is possible for us to have reasonable conviction even if we can't have sort of a, 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 an absolute mathematical certitude. Now, there's a lot of philosophy and a lot of history that goes behind this, uh, but fundamentally, you know, having lived with my family uh, and I've experienced the love of parents and love of sibling and a love of wife and love of children, this experience is not something that I can demonstrate to you in a mathematical way, and yet it it gives me a sense of confidence in a person that uh, I can rest in and uh, I can live with. Um, and that is the kind of confidence that we can have with Christ. So if we start looking for geometric proof like Rene Descartes did, um, we're not going to find it. And yet we can have the kind of confidence in Christ that we have in our friends and our family and our spouses and our parents and so forth which is the kind of confidence that we need. And at the end of the day, I mean, this whole journey is about trust. I mean, this isn't just to ignore the issues or not to think of the most reliable ways to think about these really hard issues that you bring up. But I think often, David, that we're in relationship with the one who is the truth while we then pursue in our best way possible what that truth is. But but our confidence comes not because we have the full mathematical certainty of the truth, as you said, um, but our confidence comes because we're in relationship with the one who is the truth. Is that maybe a way to help relieve some of the anxiety about these seemingly unanswerable questions? I, I think so. And also, I think it's important to realize as well that in our daily lives, we are, we are as it were, required to live. We have to live. The existentialists, uh, existential philosophers would say we are thrown into the world. I mean, we, we're out in the world and we have to make choices and we have to decide how we're going to live. And there are some intellectual people who pride themselves on not making their mind up about whether God exists or doesn't exist. You know, they're, they're agnostic and they give themselves pat on the back uh, for being so honest with the evidence. And my response to that is to say, you know, it's wonderful that you are honest with the evidence, but you still have to live your life. You have to, you know, you have to put your money down and make your choice, right? And... Uh, as a rock group called Rush said, this goes way back, they said, but not to decide is to decide. And so we don't have the luxury as human beings not to commit to a certain way of life. And so given that that's the, the charge before us, that's the task before us, we have to live our lives in the best and wisest way possible, we, we eliminate clearly destructive ways of living, and we seek to find pathways of knowledge and wisdom that point, and as you do that, you're led to Christ, not in a sense of mathematical certainty, but in a sense of, you know what, this rings true. Hmm. This makes sense. This speaks to my heart, and it speaks to my mind. And so, therefore, I, I cast my lot with Jesus. And as I do that, I find you know, that his relationship with me confirms me in this choice. And that's where I get the, the, the back and forth of I make the commitment and I find confirmation. And as I find confirmation, my commitment is deepened. And as my commitment is deepened, I find more confirmation. And I begin to realize I can rest in this way of life, mm. uh, which is different than I'm going to be a computer, figure out the data, come to a 100% conclusion, and then I'll trust in Jesus. 
it doesn't work that way. People who do that end up not having friends, not having relationships. <laughs> they don't get married. They just sit there in their agnosticism, and that's no way to live. Mm. Dr. David Clark is our guest, and I have to make uh, a, a conf- tell you about a confession David made at the top of the hour, right as the show started, right before we went on the air. He said, "Well, I don't have one note for today." <laughs> and this nuts. is <laughs> this is what we get for a guy with not one note. <laughs> I wish it could sound intelligent, don't you, Bill? <laughs> oh my, it's spectacularly interesting. Mm. Uh, this is a fascinating discussion, and the way you you just. Put all that, David. It's so uh, so so interesting. Mm. Thank you for that. And David, I, in terms of those ideas about Jesus too, what do you do if you go to one church one weekend and they say this is what's true about Jesus or his way of life in the kingdom, and then the next weekend you go down the street to another church and maybe they're looking at the very same passages of scripture or maybe they're talking about the very same thing, and Jesus sounds utterly and entirely different than. That first way, is there a way to sort of work this out? I, I think a lot of people run into these topics where they can read one thing and then something entirely contradictory about who this Jesus is. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And we have a number of <clears throat> we have a number of tests that we would use. I mean, obviously some teachings about Jesus that are out there in the blogosphere, you know, you, you you could test them against the Scripture, and clearly they're not quite what the Scripture is saying. So that those are the easy ones, I would say. I, I do think as well that um, there are versions of Christianity um, that speak about love and speak about relationship and covenant and trust and all these things, and yet you get into the the psychological dynamic of that system and you realize that it's a lot more about inducing guilt. And, you know, you your, your antenna can go up and say, you're saying one thing and you're living a different way. Uh, and so I think one of the wonderful things about young people is that they just have this baloney meter, uh, you know, the baloney <laughs> detector. And uh, you, you can go into a, a church where it's a social system and regrettably, while there's a lot of talk about love and talk about grace, it's actually a lot more about guilt and a lot more about uh, forcing people to follow the rules and so forth. So I would say there are, there are multiple strategies here. You know, we're, we're testing it against the Scripture, but Scripture also says we sort of test the spirits, as it were. And this, this uh, is almost like a testing of the spirit. Is there an authenticity and a coherence, a, a fit, a does it fit together what's being said about grace and what's being said about love and then how the, the system is actually working? You know, when somebody does something wrong, how does the system react do they react in anxiety and condemnation or do they say, we love you. I don't think this is who you really are in Christ. It's not really how you want to live. How can we walk with you to find a better way and to develop a better set of habits? Mm. Um, you know, and good baloney detectors can sort of feel the difference between a system that is really filled with kingdom life and a system that's really built on rules and regulations. Now, that's not to say rules and regulations aren't important, but they're there to help us achieve something higher, which is this life in Christ. Mm. Mm. Boy, that's a beautiful way you put that, David. 
explaining to somebody who's you know not living the life they should, how can I help walk alongside you? Sure. Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful descriptor. I Do we have time for a quick story here? Uh, so, yeah. you know, I remember once when I was um, <clears throat> in a leadership role and uh, one of the people who was on my team was, was get, getting flack uh, from, from a student and um, couldn't quite get through to this student that the student need to have a little bit more of a respectful attitude towards uh, towards this staff person. So I invited the student into my office and I said, um, you know, this is lunchtime and actually during lunchtime, I like to play basketball, but today I'm going to skip that uh, because I love you. Mm. Uh, and uh, I want to tell you something about um, how you need to live. But First, I want to make sure you understand that the reason I'm doing this is because I, I care for you and I love you and I, I want you to flourish in the future. Okay, the person said. And then I said, all right, so now that we've got that clear, what you're doing with this staff person is not acceptable. Mm. If you keep acting this way, you're going to pay a price down the line because I could imagine a situation where you, you could even get fired from a job if you act this way. So this has got to change. Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. After it, the person said, you know, I have never been in a situation where I was corrected in something I was supposed to be doing, but I also felt loved at the same time. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I realized that this young person came out of a family system, which was about following the rules, but nobody understood that the reason you follow the rules is because it enables us to love each other better. And so you got half the story, but you didn't get the other half of the story. You got the you got the rule part, but you didn't get the point of the rule part. Mm. And found out uh, lots of things about this person's history and family and relationship with dad and all kinds of stuff broke out. And ultimately, this person said, I, I see what you're saying and I appreciate your – so it was strong correction. I said, you can't do this. This is not acceptable. And at the same time, he said, you know what? I feel like you just loved me. That is the difference between a system where it's all about the rules and a system where it's really all about love. And there are rules, but the rules are about helping people love well. Mm. Well, so good. So good. We'll take one more break. Dr. David Clark is our guest today on Sunburnt Series. We'll be right back after a short break. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. It is Sunburnt Series. Peter Kafter and I are having a wonderful discussion with Dr. David Clark. We've been talking the whole hour about faith in Jesus and faith in our ideas about Jesus, but it's also had some incredibly emotional moments for me, and I just had another one at the break. You guys have to stop this. <laughs> uh, I, I can't take it. But that story, David, you started sharing, I don't know if you'd repeat that because it's just so powerful. 
Yeah, I, I probably can't go down that path, but I would just say that, you know, in, in relationships with, uh, with um, families and yeah. uh, in, when we're like supervising people on the job, you know, people need to understand that we can give correction, but that the correction has to flow out of the, the motive Amen. of our desire for them to be all that they can be rather than flowing out of a motive of keeping the rules, uh, you know, clean or keeping our noses clean or, or that sort of thing. And <clears throat> people are open to correction as long as they know that the correction is about really uh, being in their corner uh, as opposed to uh, correction being about, um, you know, making sure that um, – we followed all the rules or whatever. Yeah. And where does one learn this skill? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> question. And, um, you know, I th- I think this is part of what God has built into families. And, it, you know, parenting uh, is the place where this happens. And when we didn't get parented this way, we have a tendency not to parent our own kids this way. Mm-hmm. And so the bad habits of the first generation gets passed on to the third and fourth generation, as uh, as the Scripture says. Whereas I think if we are parented this way, uh, you know, then we tend to parent our own kids this way. So sometimes what the church can do is, in a way, is reparenting us with good theology that then works itself into how we work these relationships out practically with our own kids, uh, with, if I'm a teacher, with the students in my class, uh, if I'm a manager at Starbucks, you know, then with the, with the kids on the people on my on my team, uh, how do we exercise appropriate leadership in the kingdom of God? Um, and it has to be this kind of servant leadership where uh, you know it's, it's more about what you can become as a result of our working together. Um, you know, sometimes we are concerned about how. For instance, you know, my dad was a very important person in my life, and I never wanted to disappoint him. And uh, so it was important, you know, that my my kids sort of toe the line so that dad would be proud of the parent I was being. But if if I'm more concerned about my kids towing the line so that my dad would be proud of me as a father, then my parenting becomes more about me and how I am viewed by somebody that's important to me and less about raising my children in an honorable way, uh, you know, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Hmm. Uh, and, and I had to check myself several times where, you know, I wanted my kids to put on a good show for my dad so that he would be proud of me as a father when I realized, geez, I'm thinking about me first and foremost <laughs> here, uh, not mm. about, you know, whether or not this is the right thing for my kids. And uh, so I, I really had to check myself on that. Uh, that's a challenging thing to do. Mm. One of the walkaways I'm going to have from this hour, David, and thank you for this, is the idea that you follow the rules so we can love each other. But if we're not demonstrating the love in the midst of following the rules, the whole thing gets lost. Mm. I think that's uh, the that's a bottom line concept is that if we do things the right way but not for the right reason, um, uh, ethics and morality always has to have the right motive and the right rationale and the right reason behind the right action. Uh-huh. And uh, I do think that Christians have a tendency to to focus on the right action without the right motive. That's called legalism, and it turns people away from the faith. Hmm. If somebody is struggling with just that heart of love, 
I mean, I know that habits and practices can help, but but at some level, it seems like the Bible talks about an ongoing supernatural intervention that that God begins to bring that love in ways that sometimes we can't even describe, and sometimes it's the rooting out of our own idolatry or whatever's going on that's standing in the way. But but the source of that love ultimately is God. So, are there some ways and practices? in which we can grow in that love in the kingdom and because we can't almost do it ourselves at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a good question. I do think habit is, uh, is, is a part of it. Um, insight comes, you know, as I am awakened to the reality that I might be, for instance, I, it suddenly hit me that day that I was parenting so that I would look like a good parent rather than parenting so that my child would become a virtuous person, you know. And when I suddenly realized that, it's like, okay, Lord, you just, you just, you know, crushed me here, and I need to redo this uh, so that I'm, I'm being checked. So I think that's insight. Uh, I think habit is, you know, is a, is a part of this. I do think that perspective matters. Um, if I can, for instance, in the parenting relationship, if I am parenting uh, a child, one of the things things I should remember is that God is parenting me in a way, God and my Heavenly Father, and um, how, is he, how is he doing, and how can I imitate Christ in that? I, I do think that there are a lot of those kinds of things that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. David, as we've been talking about uh, faith in Jesus versus ideas about Jesus, there's a, di- a question that came in from a listener and it's, it's this, is there a difference in the King James Version between believe in Christ and believe on Christ? Mm. I haven't checked the King James Version, but for me, the most important, more important thing is, uh, you know, looking back to the original language. Mm-hmm. And when you compare Greek to English, there there is some, a difference there. Uh, and the difference is that the word for faith can function as a noun in Greek, and it doesn't function as a noun in English. Mm. That, that's grammar mm-hmm. that takes us back to high school English, and, and I'm sorry for that because that may be a bad memory for some of us. But um, <laughs> the idea that in Greek, uh, the word pistis, pistuo, is the verb form, functions as a verb. So we mentioned Paul in the Philippian jailer, and uh, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the word believe there actually translates pistuo, which is to faith. It's the infinitive to faith. or to, And we don't have that infinitive in English, and that's where we get bollocksed up. But what Paul is really saying is, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Or I think the best word is Trust in the Lord, yeah. and you will be saved. That's you know Proverbs three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord. So it's it's really not a function of the King James version. It's a function of the Greek language and how we in English, for one, for whatever grammatical reason, just don't have a perfect translation for the verb to faith. Mm. And the the trust and even believe and and the saved. There's a part of it that is ongoing in our lives, right? I mean, we're, we're meant. It's meant to be an ongoing thing, not just a one time event that I do, but a growing reality in me. And I do it in small acts every day. So I think the marriage analogy is beautiful here because when I said I do to Sandy Lothies many years ago, there is a fact as well that when I don't feel like helping, uh, you know, around the house or doing a task that is part of my domestic chore, in doing what I don't want to do, I am actually repeating my I do to her. It is an act of love. Uh, to to do that domestic chore, let's say, uh, or to, you know, respond in a moment of conflict or disagreement, to respond not selfishly or 
out of a immature spirit, but out of a mature spirit. Those are repeating the I do that I said on my wedding day, and I have to repeat I do every day of my life. Mm. I think, uh, David, in the relationships that I'm in, um, when when I'm not seeing somebody initially through the lens of fondness or tenderheartedness, when that's not my first move, usually that's because there's something in me that's standing in the way. And and those are some places where you can ask God to search me and know me mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. Wh- why am I not seeing this person across from me through the lens of sort of tenderheartedness. Right. Um, and those are some really great places, I think, in which our faith grows. Absolutely. And it can be for a variety of reasons in my own uh, lack of maturity or my own woundedness or hurt from the past. And those are places where the Holy Spirit can bring healing into my life and allow me then to become more mature uh, the next time I'm engaged in a conflict like that or a conversation like that. Hmm. Bill, I don't know. You and I were talking earlier with David just that Christian maturity is often based on how much you have engaged with the Bible or how many theolo- theological ideas you know. But he just said that Christian maturity is growing and Love, that's at least not at all convicting to me. Oh, my. It's just been <laughs> spectacular, spectacular hour, David. Really, you've just been a treasure this hour. I appreciate you so much. Peter, I just feel like I've learned so much. I know I'm going to go back and listen to the show again. And if you missed any of this, I have to just let you know, you've got to go to MyFaithRadio.com and check out the podcast. Go to the Afternoon with Bill show page. And uh, Dr. David Clark has been our guest. That is... Uh, all the time we have. So, David, thank you again for being our, our guest today. Well, thank you. It's been uh, great to be here. I wish I uh, did all of these things as perfectly as we say them, but uh, it's been great <laughs> yeah. to be here as always. And, Indeed. Yeah, and next time bring notes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, good. All right, that wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for spending it with me. I've loved being with you. I hope you have a wonderful evening as you lay your head on the pillow tonight. Know that God loves you and has a great plan for your life. And I'll look forward to being with you tomorrow. Good night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.